0: defen episode 8, Ray McDermott here in Belgium, Vijay Kiran, over in Holland. How are you doing, Vijay?
1: Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we had a pretty uh, decent uh, weekend with, um, I think we had fireworks uh, nearby, so we enjoyed it a lot. And uh, yeah, today I'm having some a bit of a lisp because I just bit my tongue and uh, <laughs> I was bleeding for half an hour and now I'm putting oh some ice God. and it's going to be litpy. so <laughs> <laughs> the things you do for love,
0: the things yeah, you do yeah. for this podcast. I mean, you know, I think it's impressive. I think yeah. you'll be, you'll be, I must do it myself next week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we keep cutting our tongues every now and then. Yeah, well, I try and bite my tongue, but it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, but uh, the first first of all, I mean, I'd like to thank uh, our listeners. Uh, we have around almost thousand people listening to the yeah, that's, a, that's
0: That's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, you know, we we it's just exceeding our expectations, especially that it's sticking with it. We're sticking with it. I think uh it must be the fact we're having a lot of guests. I can only imagine <laughs> that that's the, that's the reason why people are actually bothering with us.
1: Of course, otherwise in, in a couple of episodes they'll stop, uh, you know, listening and they're like, "Oh god, we can't take these guys anymore." Uh, you know, <laughs> especially our self-deprecating humor. But um but any, in any case, I mean, we, uh, we we were very fortunate to have uh, all these guests and uh, we are lining up uh, some other interesting uh, guests in the f- upcoming episodes. So hopefully we'll have um, very interesting discussions uh, with a lot of topics And in, uh, in closure, So stay tuned.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's still, I mean, we, there's so many topics, aren't there? There's so much innovation going on. It's actually... Yeah you like you're trying to cherry pick at this moment. You know, there's so many things to, to talk about. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about a few of these things in the news now. But just at a general innovation level, I think it's still true that that closure is still the king of innovation as far as um, computing is concerned. You know, I still feel I don't know about you. I still feel like whenever I fire up closure, I still feel like I'm at the kind of um at a innovative place, a leading edge, at a place where things are still evolving, I'm still learning a lot every day every time I open up code, I'm learning something new
1: yeah i mean for me uh of course i I completely agree with you, it's like a cutting edge stuff and, and well not completely cutting, but you know <laughs> uh very uh Interesting things happening, especially on the front end, on the back end, and with specs and all the mm. stuff, and distributed yes. computing, yes. It, it, we're clearly on the forefront. And, and the advantage with the podcast for me is that we get to talk to these amazing people and we're just learning from them, and this is like a free coaching session. Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> oh, it's excellent, yes. Uh, the other yeah. thing as well I, that I think is really interesting about Clojure, actually, is that despite the fact that there's a lot of um and maybe it's because of the lisp aspect of this but despite the fact that there's a lot of innovation around the community and in the core as well um it's still remarkably consistent and stable and you know you don't feel like you're having to you know like rethink everything every time a new innovation comes on it seems like it's often most of the innovations are very, let's say, sympathetic to the the overall concepts behind closure, and those core concepts seem to be bringing around that innovation. Uh, I think that's really uh, a phenomenal thing, you know. And uh, we all bow down to to the hickey, you know. Yeah. The, the guy, the guy made a lot of good choices. Um, Where does he live, by the way? Somewhere in
1: Colorado or something? I don't know. Uh...
0: I have no idea. but And don't, and don't stalk him, okay? It's no, not, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking
1: <laughs> every now and then, whenever you, you open Emacs or something, and then you just turn towards that side and then bow down. All oh, right, it. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay, that, that, that'll be really, um, I don't know, uh, fundamentalist, but let's not do yeah, that. That's for future yeah. generations, that one. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, our first segment of the podcast, uh, news and events. So what is happening? Uh, first of all, uh, Euroclosure, uh, the talks are announced and uh, the, the lineup is fantastic, um, of course without me because my talk got rejected,
0: oh, too man. sad. Let's just talk about that because <laughs> you know, th- this, is, this is harsh. Yeah.
1: And you, you gonna do- <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have kick-assed it, but um, anyway, never mind. Actually I, I, I believe I believe
0: they have this uh, this uh, this this model for for accepting and rejecting talks don't they that's all about uh, <laughs> awesomeness. <laughs> they're like obviously they're much. fucked up they're screwed up this time big time. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, anyway it's it's uh, I can imagine it's a couple of days talks but there are their fantastic lineup already. Uh, David Nolan is coming and Karen Meyer and there are a couple of uh, very interesting talks that I see already especially with the um, Big data stuff, not not big data, but um, uh, Dragon, or I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his name correctly or not, but he's working on this Neanderthal, on the um, uh, GPU-based library that I'm really excited about.
0: Right. Yes. So,
1: yeah. and and there are other fancy talks uh, with Docker, and one more talk about Spec. But in any anyway, case, so I I'd encourage everybody to take a look at the um, speaker lineup, and uh, of course we will be there. We will. Um, yes. So, uh, by hook or crook, I'm going to give my Onyx talk. (laughs) I'll be be standing outside, like in the back in the, I think, Roman days or Greek days, you know, shouting, hey, Onyx (laughs) is awesome, and then giving pamphlets away.
0: Like the street corner, the street corner (laughs) prophet. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're going to do a meetup, aren't we? We're going to start organizing this soon. We'll do a meetup as well. I've got a few things planned as well. So, we'll we'll have have something good at that meetup, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Onyx, uh, Onyx got funding. That is a big news uh, this um, this week or last yeah, week. Yeah, it's
0: ridiculous. Yeah, these guys are uh, I mean we've talked about how incredible their vision is also and I think it's fantastic news.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. And and, and they they're teasing us a bit uh, especially on Slack. I think Michael and Lucas are teasing uh, the kind of product that they're working on and they want to give some sneak peek pretty soon. So we are pretty excited. And hopefully uh, Mike or Lucas will join in our our broadcaster uh, and then we can pick their brains a bit and uh, maybe get a peek into their future plans we'll see yeah well I mean I must admit i'm I'm about to get
0: started on some big data distributed processing and uh I'm looking forward to it because you know this is something which is going to go on for for quite a few uh quite a few months even years um, yeah. so i I really would like to get their vision because I think Given where it is so far, I think it's very, very promising. Um, yeah, they've already got a lot of the a lot of the fundamentals spot on, I think. And again, it's very close to that data first vision and that very. And we'll come on to the kind of closure at scale stuff in in this episode. Um, mm. But I think they've they've got very many things right there. Um, obviously, there are there are whenever you go up to scale, you've got all these tooling issues. So yeah. I'm sure that's what they're kind of working on. But Great news to them! Congratulations to them. You know yeah. they, they're obviously they've, they've worked really hard. They've put a lot of their skin in the game, and uh, so all congratulations. And uh, I'm sure they're going to do luck. an awesome work. Yeah, great luck. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I just read on Twitter that Reframe has a new version available. Reframe the reagent-based framework, and this is probably one of the uh, most awesome READMEs ever <laughs> on a GitHub page. The tutorial, seen, uh, yeah, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? it's pretty, pretty awesome to read. So, um, I haven't seen what, what's uh, new in that yet, but um, that is something that uh, I'd like to mention.
0: I think the guys from Reframe have just got to be uh, careful that they avoid Misha launching the nukes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, but, no, um, sorry, yeah. Anyway,
1: that's Reframe. And um, Ambrose uh, was um, the, the core-typed developer. Uh, he has been uh, checking along nicely, I suppose, and uh, he's now just announced a small project for uh, automatic annotations in Clojure spec. There was an Indiegogo um, Kickstarter. You, ca- you can't call it Kickstarter because it's Indiegogo now. Oh, crowdfunding. Yeah. Crowdfunding, yeah. Crowd, crowdfunding campaign. Um, unfortunately, it didn't reach the target. I don't know but how how it is going to affect, but uh, I'm really curious what, what he's working on and... Uh, we, we should see some interesting things coming out from him soon. And he's another target for us to bring on to the podcast.
0: <laughs> Definitely, yes. Yeah. Very interesting work he's done so far on, uh, on the core type stuff, also on the, uh, the logic stuff as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get on to the main discussion for today. Uh, so this is episode as you can, uh, well, as our audience can imagine, we don't have any guests in this episode. So we're going to put our ignorance out there.
0: Mr. Village Idiots once again?
1: Yes. So uh, today we want to talk about closure at scale. It's always an interesting discussion around this because most of the people keep complaining or worried about how it is going to scale in terms of um, code, in terms of uh, how, how do you manage large code bases in dynamic languages, especially how do you design large-scale programs in functional programming and other issues like... Um, yeah, distributions and team sizes, all sorts of stuff. All right. So the first thing that, well, I started with object-oriented programming. Uh, there was a bit of a Pascal in my life at some point, uh, which I don't want to talk did, did, about. Did
0: you, did, you, did you really start with OOP? You didn't come in before that? I mean, uh...
1: No, I was doing Pascal first, uh, and I did some right, COBOL okay. as well, but that is only during the university, and... Yeah, uh, I, I used to learn and teach COBOL simultaneously. So that, that <laughs> must be spectacularly painful for my pupils. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So le- that is learn by teaching method. <laughs> I think I wrote one COBOL program
0: to, oh. uh, and that was it. That was enough for me. But like okay. you, yeah, I did Pascal as well. But I, but yeah. I spent many years as a C programmer, actually. Um, okay. So I yeah, was doing that for a long time. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so you you mostly started with ORP. but you're
1: yeah, younger, you're
0: younger than me anyway, so you know. Mm,
1: yeah, I'm. I'm not sure though, but maybe. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I did start with a bit of Pascal, and then then um, a bit of Delphi, and then uh, first commercial stuff was in uh, C plus so, uh, the Windows programming, the the horrible um, H W N D P T R to something and that, that shit MFC and yes uh, Windows programming. So that was a complete object-oriented thing. And and then I started uh, doing a bit of a Java uh, back in 1.1, AWT. And uh, it quickly turned to 1.2. And one of the interesting books that I read during that time was Bruce Eccles' uh, Thinking in Java. Uh, He had Thinking in C++ as well, I think. Yes. So so designing large-scale programs and and designing bigger programs, uh, I always started thinking in terms of object-orientedness. So first you think about what kind of classes that I need and what kind of actions that I need. And um, pretty much all the program design was guided by the language that I'm using, which was Java. So then we had UML and object-oriented analysis and design. So that that's how I got into uh, large-scale programming, I would say. And I think one of the biggest programs that I ever wrote, uh, well, not, not me, but essentially with a team of uh, six other people. Uh, that, that was for, um, I think, advertising management for Quark uh, some time ago. So the, 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 when you design a large-scale program, those are mostly driven by the language that you're using.
0: Well, I, I want to, yeah, sort of, but I want to sort of pick up on that a little bit. Let's maybe just go yeah. back a little bit, you know, like the closure way You know, of defining the problem. So, so kind of like, what do we think scaling is actually? You know, what, what, do, we, what do we actually yeah. mean by scaling? Because I think uh, you mentioned a few, a few kind of metrics there, like, um, yeah. like team size and stuff like this. But um, in terms of design, what do you think about scaling? Because, because I, I tend to think of, of scaling as a sort of in, in a number of dimensions. You know, like you can think about, well, how big is the problem that you're trying to address? And sometimes yeah. a relatively small problem can Hmm. still have a big code base, you know, because I don't know if you've seen how many to-do list goddamn uh, (laughs) things out there. uh, Well, you know, apparently this is a big problem. It needs needs a lot of solutions. And I'm not just joking about that, you know, because obviously the Node frameworks do a... To do yeah. list as a sort of uh, joke. I think make,
1: make a to do list app is on everybody's to do list now. Yes. yes no. kind of oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> was nice. a bit, bit of recursion there. Yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. come
0: back to that one here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, what I was thinking was that, like, actually, people complain, don't they, about, oh, well, you know, we, 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 we made this to do list, um, but actually, our framework is so, so nice and so wonderful that this to do list only shows off like 10% of its features. But anyway, yeah. so it doesn't matter. So it, but it, what I'm trying to say is, well, or maybe it does matter because that's it's kind of the size of the problem. You know, That yeah. people people say, ah, okay, well, if you've got a small problem, then you can kind of just do it from code with one person out of your head. If yeah. the problem gets bigger, then you need something to constrain that, something, something where you can make some decisions. So that's what I'm wondering about. I'm wondering about what is it, what are the actual things that, because um, I... I what what things actually do you flex on? What, what, what are the decision points that you need to make when you want to scale something? Because I often hear this from framework authors that, oh, you know, the reason why we did a framework was because uh, you've got too many decisions to make, you've got too many choices. And I wonder what you thought about that, because I think that seems to be the beginning of it or the heart of it is that we're essentially just you know, we're we're kind of rinse repeating this problem. So, in order to to kind of uh, to to scale it out, if you like, well, we just yeah. put a framework together, or we put some kind of uh, uh, application server together, or some other kind of you know big lump of stuff like an ERP system, or yeah. uh, you know. And I I find that. I find that a really interesting discussion point, actually. I know we're just starting this, but I'm, but I'm, let's think about that. Let's have a chat about that. So where, where are we talking about on a scaling here? Like, we're talking about a to-do list, we're talking about a web application, we're talking about a whole, like, line of business application.
1: Well, I think we can, the most common thing these days is the web applications, right? So when I say scale, uh, at least in, in my uh, viewpoint, uh, the, the major thing is that, how do I design a big application or an application that has a lot of use cases and everything? And how, how do I start? Because when I, when I switched from Java to Clojure or first time when I picked up Clojure, uh, because I'm so used to this, the first thing that I do is class person and then just create a class and then think about what is the model layer and then design the whole model layer and Hello. then the data access objects or data transfer objects. and th- These kind of things, uh, all this ceremony. I'm starting in new applications, because I thought web applications are most common thing these days. So uh, if we start with um, uh, an application, I'm thinking about all the classes, can, can all I, the can I just, data models. Can I just stop yep. you there, though?
0: Because yep. uh, does d- does the f- does the phrase web application mean anything anymore?
1: Well, nowadays it's it's. I I don't. Know what the difference is anymore, but um, obviously, if you're building desktop or any any kind of large applications, what no, what I mean
0: by so, that is that if you if you're doing like an ERP system or a CRM system or whatever system, it's always going to be a web application. So yeah. it's kind of like it's like a given interface on the server side, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course. But anyway, so right, let's say some big server application because like where where I work, this the big ones are things like you know, ERP, CRM. Uh, you know uh, all all these kind of e-commerce style applications as well so you have e-commerce platforms crm platforms i mean i think those are really those are those are those are big things which you need to scale aren't they because there's a lot of use cases like you say around well how do i how do i manage the product catalog how do i manage the content how do i do the inventory you know blah blah blah
1: yeah, I mean, if, I, I'm not uh, saying that web applications are a bit different when you're designing because I, I worked for um, uh, building desktop applications that are fairly complex for clinical trials and stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, so that is pretty, uh, you know, for the big pharmaceutical companies uh, that was built in Java and Swing and those kind of things. So, but, the, but the thinking behind building these applications, that is fairly similar, right? I mean, you start with thinking about how I'm going to design my model layer and how I'm going to design my um, data access layer and data transfer objects and all sorts of stuff on the front end. So the the, the thinking is so much tied to object-orientedness now. Do do, I, do you
0: think that's true though? Because I, I, I maybe I'm old school, but I always think yeah. like. Like the beginning of this stuff is talking about user stories and talking about yeah, yeah. like,
1: yeah.
0: what's the data actually? And then it, if, then, it, then as soon as you get the programmers involved, they start talking about all these classes and stuff. But but the actual beginning of the of like the design process of the, of what are we going to do? You know, it's mostly about well, what data we want to capture about the customer? What you know, we're trying to sell these products. We're trying to you know, or do this thing, whatever this thing is. Um, and then it starts to go into the thing you're talking about.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, the, I'm not talking about the functional side of it, but once we move to the technical side of it, then then we end up with um, all these discussions. And anyway, the, the the biggest conceptual jump that I had to make when I started with closure is that okay, how how do I start? You know, what is the first step? Because it was just a function, and then I, I write a couple of functions in a namespace. Is it done? So. With that knowledge, when I made my first application, uh, I think it was around 1,000 lines of code uh, for uh, generating PDFs or something in Clojure. Okay. And that was pretty okay. Uh, it, it it worked. <laughs> and uh, obviously, like uh, everybody else, I'd uh, love tests, but uh, I didn't write any of them. <laughs> you had this, like, 1,000 lines in the REPL you had to load up every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's mo- more or less like that, but saved into a file. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but but later, uh, of course, it's divided into multiple namespaces because, you know, you want to separate um, similar functions together into different places. It's not a large code base, but one of the problems with my code that I saw is that after three months or something, I go back to the code. Now I'm completely lost because there was no spec, there was no schema, there was no... Every function seems to take a map and give a map. and. Okay. I was super confused, like, well, maybe it's just my stupidity, obviously, but uh, it, it, it took some time for me to remember what happened. You know that, that, That's what I mean by scaling it up. Now, if I imagine the project being worked on by multiple programmers, so how do you communicate the intent? How do you communicate these things? There is documentation, obviously. These are all standard problems. So that is that is one kind of scaling that I'm really... Uh, interested in how large closure programs are large um, any other functional programming things? Well, maybe it's what you what so what you're
0: getting I hear is somehow is that, and again, it's a very interesting thing is that with functional programming we tend to be doing these map the like you say these functions that that take a map give back a map you know whatever or yeah. or take a function give back a function. However, we're going to do these things, um, and what's I think what's confusing about it potentially is the fact that. Um, the data that 's going to be piped through these functions is is not there, whereas yeah. with the object oriented model you 're kind of you're, you 're you're essentially you 're putting the data shape and the data model concretely into your programs aren 't you
1: yeah
0: and that 's maybe that 's maybe the 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 biggest mind switch like you say is how do you rid yourself of this desire to constantly want to enforce a rigid Shape on the uh, on the program itself, and to have that visibility.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also the the, the whole data modeling thing. Because um uh, I think the book by Alex Miller and um, I forgot other author's name. I apologize. Uh, there is closure applied, and uh, the the very very nice book by the way. Uh, I would really recommend it. And they they start with the data modeling, and then giving you strategies of how do you model the data. Because obviously closure is. Data is the king in, in the closure world or queen, depending on how you see. <laughs> uh, so, um, so Her Majesty, the data, you know you need to right. You need to treat it, how you are going to model it. So they, they have some discussions about whether it is going to be a map or a record, or when do you go for records versus maps. Uh, so so that, is, that is something, I think records versus maps is, is one of the fundamental decisions that you need to make when you're starting up a large-scale closure program what what do you think about what
0: okay but what do you think about that then i mean i know we've got different differing opinions potentially uh, in the community about it um but uh, but i i see these um these deaf records and all these yeah. kind of things as uh as as generally pretty annoying actually I, I prefer the maps personally um yeah
1: i mean maps are very 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 flexible right i mean that is the entire nicety of using maps but the records are going to give you some sort of um i don't know kind of an communication of your intent like okay i i have to have these things and and the nice thing is that you have these uh helper functions that are automatically generated for a record so you can always use maps versus records and also i think there is a kind of a performance benefit as well if you're using records because they're backed by a proper java class in the in the backend instead of a hash map uh, compared to uh Maps, don't, so, don't say that. Don't don't say it's a performance benefit. <laughs> I, ah,
0: yeah, no, 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 <laughs> I no. Mean, that's a desperate measure. That isn't it? You know, it's like oh, nah. we're going to get one nanosecond throughput better for for a type versus a map. You know, of course. You
1: know, that, I mean, that, that's the last That's
0: the optimi- last you know last bastion of uh, of optimization. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know. that's true. That's true. But at the same time, you know, we need to. Uh, the, the, the major advantage is that you have, a, uh, you have a specific structure and you know which keys are there, and that, that is the kind of thing. And, and, and on the other, other hand, you have less flexibility. So you cannot just add whatever the keys yeah. you want. Of course, if you, if you add a new key to the record, then it will be an additional map inside the record. Well, so I'll give
0: you an example of where, where I, for instance, uh, concretely wanted to, to do this, is if you want to persist data... And then yep. and then read it somewhere else. As soon as you put it into records, though all or, or Java classes or whatever, it becomes an absolute nightmare, um, in my opinion, because you have to then on the other side, on the reader, the reader of these things, um, mm-hmm. has to understand the, the, the that 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 object existed, that that, that, that record existed. And yep. that you know, that, that is essentially poisoning the data. You know, you know if you if you if if you happen to be the one that's reading and writing all the time no problem yep. you know i mean of yep. course you can do that but if you're ever going to share that data or if the intention is ever to put that data on a wire for somebody else then putting objects around it is just the worst thing you can do
1: yeah that's true but that that is that is the uh, i think that the chapter also talks about the same stuff as well like the flexibility that you get using the maps is essentially that—that that you're what you're pointing out—that is the advantage. So you can just keep, uh, you can safely transmit the data between different systems, and and there is no additional type that you need to know to read this one back. So that is that is one of the things. Anyway, so that is about the designing the data. And the second thing when you when you're writing larger closure programs is um, how do you uh, how do you come up with the Different layers, or well, that's a, that's a big uh, big word probably. But how do you organize the code? You know, the the only logical way of organizing the code enclosure is the namespace. Okay. So that there is no other higher level uh, module, or, or or I don't know what is the right word for it though. Well, let's say, uh, let's co- say this compilation a, unit. Yeah, yeah, I know, but. It-
0: Somehow you can think of it as a as a yeah namespaces are good because uh, you can think of it as a distribution model, can't you? You know, mm-hmm. if 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 it's a way of uh, just doing the nice the things that object oriented thing that is good, yeah. which is to separate function A into a namespace. That's obviously a good thing, isn't it? You know, if you're talking about like naming naming problems, that yeah. is that's how you get that's how you solve that, isn't it? Essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think we talked about this before, didn't we? But you know, you have to get yeah. this kind of um, org dot closure dot com dot core thing. Yeah, you know, in yeah. order, you know, you know it's reverse um, domain name stuff to yeah, yeah, to do yeah. that. And if you if yeah. you if you're not careful, if you, if you just pick up random names, then you're bound to have this. Uh, what's that? The the thing in Node, The left string, left pad, <laughs> left the <laughs> left pad, pad <laughs> problem. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: But Just I think not exactly a bit. get you out of jail, you know? <laughs> yeah, but we we here I think in the closure world we're a bit lucky because we're piggybacking on JVM stuff and and there is some sort of a convention there already and and everybody kind of agrees on that one. So I haven't seen anybody saying, Okay, I'm gonna use the same package name like everybody else. Well no it, it,
0: it does matter. I mean we have this we had this problem. We had a we had a sort of bug or a kind of funky thing at work recently where um, there was There was a a library, a a Java library, uh, that was uh, JDOM. You know, so we all we all know the old JDOM library. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So obviously, to to take things from XML and put it back into XML, etc. And and this is all fine. um, But they changed their name from they they used to have a library in the Maven. It was JDOM slash JDOM. That the organization was JDOM and the artifact was JDOM. And then they changed it to the organization. Um, uh, or the group, sorry, being org.jdom and then the artifact being Jdom, and that yeah. caused all kinds of problems because you know then all of our dependencies got a bit messed up, and we had different, you know, the Jdom was the same thing, and it got everything. The class path, <laughs> the class path was messed up, um, yeah. and we ended up having a, a production bug through this. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you know, people have their head heads, heads you know, a lot of head scratching. You know, why do they change this? So you have to be careful. Um, you know, you're right, there are conventions, but yeah. even in the Java world, people don't always follow them. And then, you know, because of that, oh, then they catch up later, but not all of their, their consumers, you know, are uh, are aware of that. So I'm I'm just saying, yeah, you know, yeah. that it's uh, you know, we're not we're certainly not living in a perfect world, and I think Of course, um, of
1: course. This is this is this is something that, that, that is a problem in every uh, ecosystem, you know, how do you manage pa- packages, how do you share code yeah. so the, the, I think a couple of days ago I was talking to one of my colleagues like, okay, this, is, this, this has been a big issue for every uh, language and every uh, community, how do you share code with each other, so that's that's something, at least in, in Java world, I think there is some level of sanity already established, of course we have all these uh, transitive dependency issues and all the crap, but still yeah slightly better than just pulling random scripts from the outside and running them. So, anyway, so coming back to the object-oriented thing, I think um, one of the interesting things uh, with object-oriented programming is that the design patterns, right? I mean, that that has been one of the biggest things people still learn uh, how to organize their code or how to think about the problems, how to solve common issues. So in in functional programming, because uh, there are so many problems that are not there, um, so th- there is no equivalent patterns in functional programming. The only patterns that you see are the functor or applicatives and these kind of things. Um, but you don't see similar ones like uh, creational patterns or behavioral patterns. So I was the I was monad. <laughs> of course, the oh, monad. Jesus, the monad.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, once you, like, once you know it, you can never explain it. I love those things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's it's. Yeah, maybe we should we should try to explain monad in one of the episodes. Yeah, not now. <laughs>
0: let we, we should have a drink first, you know. I think Yeah, yeah. That's true. Maybe, maybe that should be the the, the subject of the deaf and meet up, you know. Let's all just get
1: yeah. drunk and explain monads and record it for posterity, you know. Yeah. I think we should we should talk about all sorts of monads like the free monads and the state monad and all the stuff and that'll be cool. But anyway, <laughs> let's not all well, right, not, uh... but you're
0: right. But you're right. There are there are kind of like a different. There, it's a different order or a different thinking of patterns, isn't it? Because those, all of those patterns. If you if you remember the sort of gang of four book, they were the, the funny thing about the the history of that book. If you, I, I yeah. don't know, I, mean, I kind of like was fascinated by that book. So I did I did actually read it you know uh, uh yeah. no you know you wouldn't do it these days you,
1: you wouldn't read a book these days you know but but, but of course you know i i did um when I mean, you know the uh, the only book that i read is the how to copy paste from Strike overflow yeah. <laughs> so there, there is a, actually a short the, book that one <laughs> yeah because there there was a uh, uh, you know the I am developer Twitter account, you know, that guy tweets all this uh fake O'Reilly, Oh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Things. Yeah, I like it, yeah. So he tweeted this um how to copy paste from Stack Overflow and somebody went ahead and actually wrote a book <laughs> of of ten pages with licensing issues and how do you copy paste <laughs> and how to give attributions. <laughs> there is a good book, by the way. Anyway, so okay, yeah, but, you know, so Gang of Four book, yeah, yes. So
0: I, I, and and the history of it is a little bit that you know the, the authors, um, you know, they were experienced authors themselves, obviously, yeah. but they also they also went around and talked to a lot of um, a lot of good programmers, programmers where people had had success, you know, yeah. and they tried to say, okay, well, since you've had success, you know, what kind of what kind of tricks of the trade do you have that you can try and teach us? And, and, and while they were doing this, they were cataloging all of these practices, these so-called best practices, and they realised that certain of these best practices were, were common amongst a lot of these people. And it yeah. comes back to what you said at the very beginning, actually, Vijay, is that a lot of them are, are rooted in the language environments, and they ended up being hacks or tricks that they used to get to a particular end point in the language yeah. that they were uh, in the language that they were. I was going to I'm going to say suffering but let's say they, they were working in you know
1: <laughs> yeah but the, the 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 one of the things that I, I wanted to mention was uh, Peter Norweg uh, uh, had a small presentation about how to actually uh, write these uh, or, or do the same kind of things that you do with the design patterns and translate them into a dynamic language like uh, lisp uh, we'll we'll post the link in the um, in, in in the show notes by the way so every every there are some patterns that have no meaning in in functional world, for example, all these creational patterns you know yes. because in, in the, there is no new uh, enclosure right I mean there is no you, you you're not constantly creating new objects, of course when you're interoperating with Java, then probably there yeah, is back there back to your
0: deaf record again, dude yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there is an instance and there is of course you can treat that as a, as a factory, but there most of the patterns they they don't need um you don't have the same problems here. You have different kind of problems, so that's why you have these monads and all the crap um, and all the shiny stuff, I should say. Well,
0: a lot of a so, lot of it, like you say, is creation, and then it's uh, how do you how do you iterate over things and how yeah. do you change things. So a yeah. lot, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right because there are essentially three things that we just don't we just that really hurt your head when you don't do them anymore. You know, yeah. I remember somebody uh, at work was asking me the other day, he says, I, I, I can see why you guys, there's a lot of you guys, you know, guys, uh, he was from another vendor, he was from a vendor, in fact, uh, and yeah. he was saying, Oh, the guys at our place, they love functional programming. I know you love functional programming. Um, so, mm-hmm. but, you know, and I, I, I just don't get it, you know, what, what's the big deal, you know? And I was saying, mm-hmm. Well, if you try and think that you can program in a language without variables, you know try and think about that because that that's that's a big difference um yeah. that is a hu- you know something which non programmers can kind of try and understand a little bit um it's a difficult mind shift isn't it because yeah. if you not if you don't have variables then yeah. all of these design patterns are a bit meaningless aren't they
1: yeah of course i mean i think the another way to say it like um just think about without assignment but there is no change of values so that you can't constantly assign new values to the thing. But that's a that's an interesting thought by the way. Yeah.
0: But there are assignments, aren't there? You can say let something be something. So
1: Yeah, but that's that's just a binding. So that's not assi- assignment as in the equal operator in the in the mathematics, right? You just say, okay, now now I'm gonna have this value and then it's going to change after some time. So ah, I mean, the, yeah,
0: the change part is separate, okay. yeah, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's the interesting part. Anyway, so coming back to the architecture of large-scale applications. So I um, think Stuart Sierra uh, is the guy, right, who made the component. I made component, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that that is one way to look at or organize your code. I think there is a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, support in the community to use a component. I I know a lot of people who are using component. Uh, I tried using it one time, but I felt, hmm, Somehow it didn't fit. Uh, maybe I, I didn't spend enough time with it. So,
0: I think I think I, the thing about component is that again, it's maybe one of these things where probably where, let's be honest, we, you know, we're not writing, you know, uh, well, you're writing thousand-line closure programs, but you know, we're not we're not writing ERP systems in closure. Yeah. Whereas if you're the guys at Walmart, they were saying they used it, um, yeah. to sort of commonize their their model for. For continuous integration and for these kind of things and I think I think you need certain common patterns that the team that the team um, will follow for how do you build your code and how do you test your code how do you bootstrap your code and I yeah. think those are the kind of things that the component th- is aimed at isn't it I think th- there's a, th- there's a bit of a scope creep in some respects on that thing um, mm-hmm. but I, but I think the concept of being able to organize your code and the building of your code and uh, and uh, you know how how do you how do you boot how do you bootstrap your application? Because that exactly. that to me is what that, that program is there for. It's to say, how do I start my server? You yeah. Know? Uh, and and that, that's 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 a definitely a, a very very uh, laudable and decent and and proper thing to yeah. want to do. You know, to commonize yeah. that aspect.
1: Yeah, and also the dependencies between different um, modules. Uh, yeah. it's right? so a sort of you orchestration know, style thing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So that is something that, that I think the, that's the reason why community adopted component uh, because everybody was trying in, in their own way how to solve this problem because of course you have the modules and uh, I have this num, na- I should call namespaces. So I have a database namespace, I have a web server namespace, I have templates namespace. I have mailing namespace in, in, in my application. Yeah. Um, I have all these things, but there is an interdependency between them. How do, I, how do I manage them? How do I arrange them? And how do I specify that this layer requires the other one, the visibility? So when, when the code starts to grow bigger and bigger, you know, these these are going to be bigger challenges. So component is, is probably the one of the interesting ways to organize your code. but We, we call that architecture, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? That's funny to think that it's uh that it's like the ISO 7 layer model, you know, and uh, uh End to your architecture. Oh god, I mean, you know, and you get it's some of these Java things where everything has to have an interface and an implementation yes. and you have yes. seven layers with three yes. three interfaces and three classes. Well, it's only one line of code <laughs> for god's sake. You know, yeah. and uh so yeah, we can go crazy on this stuff and thankfully we don't do that enclosure, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. By the way, speaking of architecture, there is a um, I think an open source book or something. There is an appli- there is a book called um, the Architecture of Open Source Applications. I think it is available online. Uh, okay, it's a very fantastic book because they there there are lots of uh, very very smart programmers explaining how they built uh, large systems, um, like people who built LLVM, people who built Hadoop, and uh, Eclipse. Okay. <laughs> Well, wow, it's uh, still a
0: big program that a lot of people use. I mean, you know, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, it's, I'm, it's not, a, a fan, a I'm not a fan of it. As
0: I've used it for a few years, but I'm, I'm yeah. honestly, um, yeah, you know, I'm more of a uh, intelligent user, intelligent, anyway. But, yeah. but, 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 yeah. but, you know, it's it's it, it's it's definitely a complicated program. That's for sure. Of course. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, I mean, I, I built RCP applications on top of Eclipse. So, well, Eclipse framework, right, so. right, yeah, desktop applications, and I've seen the hell. And it came back.
0: <laughs> but what we're what we talking about here, we're talking about. So this, i We should put the link to that book in the show yeah, notes of course, because of uh, I definitely yeah. would uh, like to have a, a quick glance at that. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, in the object oriented world, you know, it tends to be front loaded with all this stuff, and um, and of course, we. If you go back to the sort of Java, um, the, the the Java Enterprise Edition. Um, yeah. That was all a lot of blueprints and patterns, like you were saying. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, yes. we will laugh at them now, but it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, there is something there is there is something that we want as as humans. You know, I, I see this a lot of work where you know we want a kind of template. We want we want some guidance. We want a bit of leadership or a bit of vision. You know, uh, yeah. having a kind of free for all is is scary to many people. You know, some yeah, some yeah. people really want that. Other people would rather have a kind of uh, everything layered up laid up for them you know and served with a, with a golden spoon in their mouth um
1: yeah i mean there need to be a right balance right because yes. you don't want to have complete free range stuff you know the code is essentially running free range and you you don't know what what is doing what and on the other hand you don't want to have a rigid framework which you cannot escape and rigid layers so but what do you think about that because if we if we if i mean if we
0: bring ourselves up to date there's a yeah. and this is not something which we've really uh discussed properly before but um there's a kind of there's a whole waterfall stuff and then there's the agile stuff and now there's this movement called developer anarchy um (laughs) have you heard of that
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. no,
0: it's true. It's true. Know, it's, not,
1: actually, it's not a joke. <laughs> is it like programming motherfucker thing? Or no, something, no, no, no. It's know? really, it's
0: really, uh, it's really. Uh, you, there are there are serious people. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. There's, it's actually a guy, uh, Fred George, I think he's called. I think it's Fred George. It's a guy with two names. Anyway, that anyway. Uh, um, and uh, the, anyway, the notion of developer anarchy is is exactly that. Is that is that actually. If you link your business people and your developer people together, and mm-hmm. your developers can do something quickly, will give your developers the um, the freedom to operate and to do things uh, in the way that they that they want to. Funnily enough, um, many many people um, choose Closure in 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 this kind of developer anarchy style thing uh, oh. because <laughs> it gives them a lot of freedom. Um, yeah. But it's all all this kind of stuff where people are looking at. Well, how do how do I write something that that can be written in like less than twenty lines or less than a hundred lines of code? Deploy it onto a server. Try it yeah. out. See if it, see if it works for the business, like on a campaign or on a on a financial site or whatever. And then if it doesn't work out, you know, obviously track some numbers on that thing. See if if it, if it works. If everyone's happy with it, that's great. Keep it going. Yeah. Um, tweak it if necessary but it's only a hundred lines so, or 50 lines or 20 lines or whatever so so tweak away at it and then just keep it going and it's it, these kind of things are meant to live for, for three months six months or a year or whatever not they're yeah. not meant to be 20 year things they're, so they're all small things okay. um, and that's why that's why this developer anarchy thing is, is there I mean it's not it's not it's, it's a it's like extreme programming you know it's a kind yeah, of yeah. label for for giving developers the actual programmers, uh, yeah, more control th- than, yeah. than, than people like me who work in enterprise architecture. And, I, and I'm a <laughs> yeah. fan of it, actually, because yeah. I'm one of the cool dads, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids, get out there and do anarchy.
1: Oh, right, right closure. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: but it's one of these things. It, it's like, actually, uh, anarchy would be fine, I think, in general, if you could trust all the people. You know, yeah, so, of course. Uh, that, that, that's, that it's kind of like one of these funny things. We're talking about scaling, and, of course, anarchy. Anarchy typically... the uh, anarchists will tell you it scales, but we haven't seen it in practice, you know? Um, <laughs> it's like... So, I, I. anyway, it's a bit of... A, my, my point, anyway, is that there's a whole kind of bunch of practices um, that influence these kind of designs and the scalability. You know, it's not just... Um, it's not just a code base or a or a or a kind of OOP stuff. It's it's yeah. kind of like well, how quick do you want things to change? How much functions have to be? You know, is it is it something which you're making for APIs or is it something which you're making for for unknown users? So there's a whole lot of um, parameters, isn't there?
1: Yeah, of course, and and also one of the uh, because we're talking about the the functions and sizes of the code base then. There is always a discussion about, uh, when I was working on a bigger project, uh, which has the Angular front-end and the Clojure back-end, and the discussion was, hey, should we add this as a dependency, because it seems to be like 40 lines of Closure? Uh, should we pull in the jar for it, or should we write it ourselves? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, th- there is always this, this friction between, is this generic enough to be a library that I can pull in from external code, or... Yeah. So well, well, I hit that this week actually. Or this okay. week or last week, I don't
0: remember. I've, I've been I've been mm. fiddling with this uh, 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 proxy for Kafka um, okay. in Clojure. Yeah, and uh, I was started off with I was looking at this. Um, There's a thing called Fast Kafka or something, which is a a library for on top of Kafka. It's in Clojure. It's a Clojure sort of library, and you can you can use it from Clojure very easily. Um, <laughs> but it has but it has all these built in things for Redis and. So it, I think, again, it's one of these things where it's, if you've got a very large scale problem, applying that framework to it is probably very good. Um, but honestly, it's too much work to adopt it. For, mm. for, for I just want to write, you know, 20 lines of code. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I've got this whole thing to, to grok and I, I don't want to do it. Uh, and I looked at actually what the Cognitech guys did. I think it was on the uh, Roomkey blog. Maybe it wasn't the Cognitech guys. Uh, maybe it was the Roomkey guys. But whoever, you know, it's, they're obviously a, a. It's a big. That's a big project. Enclosure. Yeah. Um, and what they did was they they basically just used the Kafka um, Java client and just just did interop and just just coded directly from yeah. from uh, from Closure directly into the Java. Uh, they didn't do exactly what I wanted. Um, so so I but I just followed that pattern actually and I ended up I ended up writing this proxy okay it's not finished yet but um it's quite kind of um it it's functional it works uh, I I can I can um use I can transmit server sent events um for a as uh, for a topic on Kafka and it, it it's fast and it's it's fine um but it's literally 20 lines of code and there's no libraries
1: no Okay. Well, there are
0: libraries for doing yeah, you know, various standard, things, but for not for yeah. not for interfacing with Kafka, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, but that's the advantage. With of course, you can always fall back to Java pretty quickly, and and I think that is one of the advices that that I heard some time ago. Like, don't start to make your own things as much as possible. Just use the interop because you're not trying to invent new abstractions on top of it. So. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it was from. Uh, From the Boeing uh, guy's presentation, I think. I'm not sure, though. I need to look it up.
0: I think it's in the air, actually. I remember hearing that from... I'm pretty sure I heard that on the uh, Cognitech, actually. I think it might even have been Craig Andera that said it. Uh, Not not one of the guests. I think he was talking about his experience. Because he was saying that, you know, he often does this now. And there's obviously a, there's a breaking point, you know. Once yeah, you get yeah. to a, again, it's this is one of these funny things actually, and it's very it's very slippery actually. It's like you say, it's always a discussion amongst the team. It's where, mm-hmm. where do you move from the Java interop to the library to the framework to yeah. to the module systems, yeah. and um, and I, and I, I, I like the fact that there's well, I'm not, I don't like the fact, but I'm I, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm open to the fact that there isn't a single answer to that and actually all of those things are good they're all possible and and you you want to have be aware of all of them and use each of them um appropriately um so so like you said I think the the big thing is about communication that's what you said at the beginning about how do you how do you communicate your intent so so and I think that's one of the things that we're really we're really coming up with in in closure actually isn't it is that we our our goal is to co- communicate our intent via data. Actually,
1: yeah, yeah, and also uh, that the newer tools like spec, for example, yes, you know, yes, that, that that's giving us all the um, all the niceties of specifying what this function means, and and when the code base becomes larger and larger, you know, you don't need to keep all these things in your mind. You know, you can reason about the code easily, and then follow the specs. Yeah, I think spec is really
0: gonna gonna help us a lot in terms of. Uh, in terms of being able to use, again, this data-first approach to be able to say, okay, this is what our data looks like. This is what the the function is meant to do. This is meant to produce this kind of result. It's meant to uh, take in that kind of shape of data. Uh, And and honestly, I don't know of any type system that is as powerful as this thing.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, well, the type systems are only telling you um, what, what is the type of the data, right? I mean, it, they can't tell you what is the shape of the data. And they're not helping you in terms of, uh, like, generation, generative testing, for example, automatically generating the tests and um, validating them. So it, it, it's a kind of a choice, again. As we were talking, I think it has been the theme of this episode. Like, you, you have, at every point, you have a trade-off that you want to make. So I'm, I'm making a large application, how I'm going to uh, design my application... And how I'm going to specify the dependencies. And the next question is okay, the the types versus specs. The, that, that is a whole different discussion. So yeah, there is there is some dependency typing can can solve some of the problems, but I'm, I'm not sure how it is going to solve the same problem with specs. So yeah.
0: Well, the thing. Uh, uh, yes. Um, uh, the uh, the. The thing about spec, which is really nice, is all these testing things, you're right. The the other thing we should talk about, like coming back to that though, is um, how do we expose APIs to each other? And the thing that I've been working on uh, recently is looking at, well, I mean, essentially why why are APIs good, but why also are APIs a kind of failure as well? Um, And they're good because you know if you want to give people access to a certain set of functions like google maps or whatever then having it as an api is a huge win um so that that's excellent you know if you want to integrate with stripe or something you need an api um so if you want to give people a function to to get to 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 grapple with then yeah. obviously an api is is fantastic um but but often in corporate in the corporate world um APIs get in the way actually they get in the way of interoperability and they get in the way of integration um, yeah. because people want to write these APIs, they want to make them nice and generic and, and they're, but they're not, they're not like reusable services half the time um, mm. and so we're fighting with this concept of reuse in, corp, in the corporate world where actually there is very little reuse just give mm. the guy the data you know yeah, yeah. Um, which is why I'm liking these event streams a lot recently because you can you can start to put data on event streams and allow different clients to interpret and um, form different uh views of that data according to their own needs, and yeah. they don't have to hook around and go around to each of individual domains and say, okay well, what's your API for this product, what's your API for that?" inventory, what's your API for... No, just give them the product information, give them the inventory information, give them the sales data. Don't Mm. make APIs around that stuff.
1: Mm. But uh, uh, did you look into the microservices stuff then? Uh, How how that fits into the architecture in general?
0: Yeah, well, we are looking at microservices, absolutely, yeah. And Mm. what... I, it, it's always a kind of funny question about what's the difference between a service and a microservice, you know. <laughs> uh, and yeah. and it is a, it's, a, it's a total joke. And you know, I was kind of like one of, the, uh, one of the kind of eyes rolling guys as well at the beginning of this. Um, yeah. but, but I think that there, there are some specifics around microservice architectures um, that are interesting. And, and I think the biggest, well, the most important one probably is this discovery thing. You know, is is how if I'm if I've got a microservice architecture, well, I've got twenty microservices. So how do I look them up, and how do I make sure that they're all online? You know, yeah. they're all available and what version they are, and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, well, and I think that there's some nice nice bits of tech around that. So there's this thing called Console from HashiCorp, which is very nice for um, registering. Um, Services and for managing them, and you can get network topologies from it, and all this kind of stuff. It really is a, a very nice thing, and you. Could, but obviously, DNS is the ultimate one of these things. That's uh, yeah, that's yeah, a that's yeah. a very nice way to do registration. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go back to kind of you know, the Corba days of uh, of <laughs> object registrations and all this kind of crap. But JNDA. Oh God, yeah. Uh, you know something about JNDI, which is uh, it's a bit off topic, this one, but what the hell, I'll just say it, is that I think if, if you look at JNDI today, uh, yep. I haven't looked at it for a while, but I looked at it about, I don't know, five years ago, four or five years ago. I very much doubt it's changed, is that yep. the, um, the packages, if you look at the packages, the, the, the Maven packages for JNDI, there's at least two mm-hmm. of them which are beta. Oh, oh. And, and they've been like that for about six years, <laughs> uh, uh, the, at the time I looked, so it must be more like 10 years now. So yeah that, that that got a lot of love yeah
1: uh- <laughs> <laughs> this is a perpetual beta. What's wrong? with that? Oh, yeah. It's a continuously <laughs> improvement. You know, never our, changed. It never changed. Yeah. It was a it was, yeah. a
0: it was a continuous beta that never changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back back to the microservices. Uh, yeah. So yeah. The, so those guys. I mean, you know, the, the the discovery stuff is definitely key. And then this mm. other stuff which uh, which you see the um, the Netflix guys doing is the what what they call the circuit breaker pattern. Which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you somehow, if you can't find a connection to that other application, mm. well, what's yeah. your fallback strategy? You know, do yeah. you do you kind of look somewhere else or do you do you look to a different service or do you have some kind of default behavior in you if that thing, you know, if you, okay, you know, unhappy sort of, uh, you know, 404 style thing. Uh, yeah. Which is nice because that means that then, you know, in terms of your, your architecture and your design, the things that you're thinking about is, right, well, all the stuff that's behind me on the network is essentially fragile. It's essentially unstable, um, and I need to acknowledge that, which is which is yeah. good. That is a good thing, um, because we, we're we the there's too much in our industry of pretending that there's a lot of certainty out there. Uh, well, it, it's true, isn't it? It's laughable. It truly is laughable. You know. Yeah. Um, but 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 this is more of acknowledgement that that things will break. You know, yeah. it's 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 a given now things will break. So think about it up front. You know, don't just of don't course, just cross yeah. your fingers. You know, um, so I think that's how ultimately, if we're talking about scaling, those are the kind of thoughts we have to have, isn't it? About how do yeah. we actually make things survive failure? You know, and all, and yep. all this kind of stuff. That that's I, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going to go into all the chaos monkey stuff, but you know, <laughs> that's all the big data center stuff. But but yeah. but the main thing from a programming perspective is that you yeah. need to think in your code well. I'm making this call to this service uh out to this URL out to this network thing and and most people's code just says right what's next or exception mm. meh. you know there's no there's no there's no there's no recovery there's yeah. no recovery there's no there's no intermediate thinking there uh yeah. and of course actually what's interesting about that is that that whole hystrix thing that whole that whole layer of circuit breaking is another another kind of uh friction if you like because yeah, you know, as soon yeah. as you admit that things can fail, then you have yeah. to have some kind of framework or some kind of library or at least some kind of approach that you want to put into place. Um, so I like that, and um, I, I like I, I'm a kind of uh, I'm kind of getting used to what what microservices actually mean. And, yeah, it's, I and it's I don't think it really I mean microservices services blah 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 blah. You know that there is some organizational size stuff that microservices are but but i think the main the main movement around microservices is just to say hey you know we've got a lot of we've got a lot of services on the network that are kind of collaborating so we need to find them we need to deal with failure i think that's really what microservices is turning out to be
1: yeah i mean i haven't uh, tried any uh, writing any microservices yet but i'm still waiting for the nano services and femto or auto or whatever and then there is going to be a service that is going to give me bytes every now and then. Yeah, but they're com- but they're coming, aren't they? <laughs> actually,
0: you know uh, uh, the,
1: the lambda the thing. lambda, yeah, The, yeah, La- yeah, the lambda
0: yeah. is your nano service, isn't it? But but <laughs> but actually, it's even worse than that because uh, I, you know the Docker thing, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. they bought this company recently. It's it's like uh, mm-hmm. it's or Camel company actually, okay. and I can't remember the name now. I will, I will look it up and put it in the show notes, but. Uh, mm-hmm. They bought this company, and this company was basically a um, uh, a UniKernel company. Okay. So you're familiar with UniKernels, I guess? Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. so this this was the original UniKernel company um, okay. from the, who wrote who wrote their own TCP/IP stack and had this Mirage project. Um, oh. I don't know if you've heard of the Mirage project, but just anyway, for for, for the people who haven't heard of it, it's this mm. it's this concept that um, instead of um, instead of kind of taking the Linux kernel and putting a container on top of it or a VM on top of it. That what you do is you you basically take the bits of the Linux kernel that are necessary for networking or for file system access or for you know for, for some limited set of process management. Um yeah. and then you you compile them together with your application code and yeah. you drop that into, you know, the desktop or the application or the, the web server environment. Put put a okay put a kind of uh port out there and then w- what's interesting about that is that uh they did some experiments with it and it, what you can do is you can use this um services um what's it called um the 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 the, the services daemon, where where you you if you get a call mm-hmm. it, it it starts your program up what's that called again oh um uh, anyway we'll, we'll might look it up we'll, we'll, yeah yep. uh it's some sort of service daemon anyway in, in, mm-hmm. in Linux, and, and, when you, and what happens is that um, when you get a request on the, on the web server that there's no web server in fact, you just get a request on the router, and as soon as that, that port number gets some ping on it, it starts yep. up the unikernel process, um, bootstraps the whole thing, the code runs, it makes the return of the bytes, and it dies. Oh, so it's like instead of like a thread per request, you get a whole machine per request.
1: Per request, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah,
0: uh, but this this serverless thing um, yeah. is something which we've we found uh, very interesting at work because I was I was very uh, taken by this by this Lambda presentation uh, when it was mm. first done at Amazon, and we we got access to the beta uh, during the Christmas after it was announced in the October. And we started playing with it, uh, and it was really great because you could you could run an event-driven system on the back of these lambdas, um, and we, we designed this system for for managing for managing requests for uh, for information. Okay. So okay. it's it's like it's turning into quite a big system now. It's called like a, a customer engagement system. So you can it's and it's it's a kind of putative CRM actually. But what's interesting about it is that you can start very small just by taking some web forms and managing the kind of reaction to the web forms in an event stream. And then you can start to add integrations. So we have integrations now for Salesforce and for various other kind of sales support activities um, and dealers and and retailers and all these kind of things. And and eventually you get this this kind of... uh, uh, evolution of these things and because it's a serverless environment you're just dropping lambdas in you mm. just drop more lambdas in we we have a dashboard that um that shows the progress um, but but these lambdas as you add more functions you don't need to disturb the other lambdas you know the, the yeah. actual the like the continuous integration problem almost goes away because you, everything that you're doing still stays valid you just put that. You just put that. You just put the extra function on a completely separate infrastructure because you know yeah. there is no infrastructure, and it's actually yeah. what I call functions as a service,
1: because yeah, yeah.
0: that's really what it is. You know.
1: Yeah. But did you try with the closure on, on uh, Amazon Lambda yet?
0: Uh, I've I've, I've tried I know it. Yes, some tried, I've yeah. done it, and um, it all works fine. Yeah, it's. Uh, okay. We haven't done it at work yet, but I've done it. I've okay. done it both with closure script and with closure. Um, okay. And the closure one works fine, by the way. I know there's a lot of a uh, lot of like talk about the closure script one is faster for the startup yeah, yeah, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I think that's kind of true if you're getting if you're getting a uh, a lot of churn. But actually, cool. the way Amazon works is that the that the the lambda stays around for quite a while, so okay. so you, you don't really. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I need to boot up every time. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. If, you, if 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 okay. you're not
0: getting much throughput, then I guess there could be yeah, some be small fine. benefit. But uh, okay. also, the depends on the, on the problem you're trying to solve. Anyway, but yeah. but if they both work and they both work really easily, actually, um, okay. you just Uberjar it, and off you go. You, you, yeah. you, know, you just yeah. write that one up that one one bit of code. In fact, I think the um, the Uswitch guys made a little yeah. demo. That, that's what I used They made a little demo wrapper around the Java thing, and it's literally okay. five lines so bam off you go and it uh, yeah, it works yeah. really well yeah so yeah so closure i mean honestly uh when we're coming back to this kind of scaling things cuz yeah, like you yeah, were saying yeah, before yeah. we keep on nodding we keep on uh, sort of tapping each other on the shoulder and say yeah. an hour's nearly <laughs> up and i think it is already so yeah. uh, we probably should start to wrap this up now
1: yeah of course i mean I'm, so anyway coming back to the i think we we have Started from all the way, and then we went to to the Lambdas now. Yes. Um, so my my current toolkit, or at least the, the, the new project that I started uh, last week. So I, I, right now, my toolkit is... Essentially, I never tried component, but I'm planning to use mount uh, this time. Okay. And then see how, how it is going to go out. And, and uh, obviously, I'm going to use spec for this one. Um, so I'll report back uh, what I find, and it'll be fun, I think.
0: Definitely, yeah. Um, well, yep. just just before we go with the uh, the, yeah. the component mount discussion, uh, yeah. one, I had a discussion. Actually, um, it was uh, it was with Hoplon, the Hoplon guys. Uh, yeah. Misha wasn't involved in this discussion, although the guy who I was talking to was was saying that this is this is what Misha tells us um, mm-hmm. is that actually all these component frameworks and mount and stuff, the like injections and all these kind of things um, mm. are doing the wrong thing, and you should okay. you should basically. Explicitly pass in um, database yeah. handles and uh, server handles and all these kind of things into the functions and not hide them behind these um, component systems. So what, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean there is always a again this is this is the standard discussion about dependency injection, good or bad, and you know because that uh, when I started writing an, a program in Scala some time ago with with Akka actors. And we had the similar discussion about the design choices, like should we use injection or should we just pass all the things like a builder pattern, you know, just pass the whole thing. And I think we ended up doing, passing the whole stuff because then then each function becomes a function. You know, it's not it's not dependent on external crap. Right. So that, that's why I, I, I didn't even... Uh, well, component is not actually a complete dependency injection. It's not a runtime dependency injection. You still need to specify this is what I need, so that needs to be passed around. Um, so I'm 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 kind of in between, I would say. So I'm gonna write down a, a reasonably big program to see how it feels, and and then decide. Okay, then screw it. I'm gonna remove the component and then just just go ahead with uh, passing the functions around. So no no direct answer, no yes or no.
0: Yeah, and I think the argument typically is, isn't it, that, like you say, you can the, the, the transparency of yeah. the dependencies is right there in your face, and there's no magic so that when you come to run this thing, you're not sort of suddenly, oh, didn't read the documentation about this needing a database or a Redis yeah. or a blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, incidentally, just as a, a final, final little aside here is that... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh that I have looked at um over over the last couple of years is Heroku. And mm. they have this thing where you can now say there's a like they have a little what they call, um uh, they have a it's like a like a Node.js file. It's not the uh, properties one. It's um
1: Oh, uh, build pack or something. It's like
0: a build pack, but, well, no, it's okay. it's a it's a it's a dependencies. So oh. so it's a bit like a it's a bit like an npm file. But what you say okay. is rather than having a module that you depend on, you can say mm-hmm. that it's a service you depend on. So it's a bit like this kind oh. of like behind Docker or behind you know these kind of um, uh, orchestration engines. You know, so they okay. have this thing where you can say, okay, I require this add-on, I require this service, and yep. then it can be bootstrapped. So that, okay. that, that's a, another kind of interesting modular approach, if you like, is that you know you yeah. want to be able to express in data what your yeah. dependencies are and be, be, be explicit about that.
1: Yeah. Anyway. anyway yeah. So uh, we should wrap up, I think. So in conclusion, my, my, my tool set right now, go with the functions and then use specs and um, try out component or mount, essentially mount this time. And I think the scaling is essentially depending on how you, how you approach. And, and there is a, it's still an open question. And uh, I, we know there is a lot of code out there like CircleCI guys building large uh, closure programs. And um, obviously there is um, Datomic. I don't know how much of Datomic is written in closure though. Uh, it will be interesting to see. But um, I think that's, that's, it from, uh, that is, uh, that's it for us uh, for today. I think we should uh, wrap up with a quick uh, overview. Uh, so we're going to post the show notes on uh, deaf and audio, and um, obviously the episodes will be on, uh, maybe you're, you're listening to it already on iTunes, so tell your friends and their friends. Uh, yeah, leave a review, actually, be... that would be quite nice. I haven't, exactly. uh, I haven't
0: seen any reviews. I must write a review myself, but uh, you know, <laughs> how awesome it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. But it would be nice <laughs> to get a few reviews, because uh, that helps to spread the word as well, I think.
1: Exactly. And if you have any nice ideas that we should focus on or uh, guests that we should invite, please let us know. Uh, We'd love to invite them onto the World's Best Vegetarian Closure Podcast. Um, And um, that's a a privilege, obviously. uh, Anything else? Oh, of course, we'd like to thank um, Pizzeri for the intro and outro music. And you can find more of his uh, music uh, on SoundCloud under Melon Hamburger.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, so uh, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, thanks very much. I, I hopefully uh, not too much. Well, there's quite a bit of village jujitsu going on, in this in this episode, <laughs> um, we'll be. I think we'll be back to getting a guest to to keep you a bit more amused next time. Yeah, maybe it's more. You could be amused on this one and more educated on the
1: next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the comic relief every right, exactly, now and then. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, mate That's it from us. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.